You're listening to the Type 1 Run Podcast. Leave no ones behind. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 15 of the show. Before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to take a quick second to shout out to chapter members from all across the globe. On Sunday, Emma Collins of the London chapter got a PR at the Paris Marathon. Shout out to Kat of the Connecticut chapter who finished her 29th half marathon at the April Fool's half in East Hamden. And Kat, I hope it's cool that I steal something from your Instagram for a second. But in Kat's post, she mentions how after the race, someone came up to her and wanted to take a picture with her because of her Type 1 run shirt. And at the end of the post, she says... Whenever you can, be brave. You never know who's watching. So I uh, found my motivation for the day. Also, a quick shout out to the Johannesburg chapter who had their first meetup this week, spearheaded by Alex. Also, congrats to all of you other Type 1 runners out there who raced or trained this weekend. If you're posting it online, I promise it's not unnoticed. We'll do more shout outs next week, but make sure to use the hashtag Type 1 Run so that we can track you. Today, I'm super excited to have Cassie Jackson on the show. Cassie is a running coach and a Lululemon ambassador and the mother of a very athletic Type 1 diabetic. On top of talking about running and diabetes, we also specifically talk a lot about what it's like to raise a type 1 diabetic child. And of course, all of the struggles that come along with that. I think Cassie's perspective as a type 1 mom or a type 3, I think I've heard that thrown around quite a few times, and a running coach make it for a super interesting interview. So um, without further ado, here's my interview with Cassie Jackson. Yeah. So the first thing I'm curious about is where I actually didn't look up where you're located. So where um, am I calling you today? So um, we, we live just outside of DC. We live in like the DC Metro, Washington, DC Metro area. um, You have access to some awesome trails around there. Yes, we do. So we, in fact, we, um, we actually live Point two, basically a block off of the Washington and Old Dominion Trail, which is probably like it's one of you know how the they kind of went through and redid all the railway trails. Yeah, they took the railway lines out and they put in tra- trails. So we live um, right that's in our backyard, um, which is great because you can go for miles, mm-hmm. both cycling and running, um, and it's great location. So you know for a decent long run i can run to washington dc and then you can do the whole like monument run or you can hook up with all the um there's a whole bunch of trails that run along the potomac both they're like um a mixed surface trails whether it be um you know soft dirt clay um there's uh the cno towpath which is the um the canal towpath that runs along the potomac they have even full marathons on it yeah. Uh, so it all connects. It's great. Yeah. We're have you ever heard of Have you ever heard of a runner called Mike Wardian? Oh yeah. 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 So yeah, I, I followed ultra running and Mike, you know, for a long time, really since I got into the sport. And yeah, there's a really awesome documentary on YouTube. It's made by Hoka, and it's yeah. called Top Trails, and it's with yeah. Mike, and it's with Mike, and they're in the DC area, and he's running all the trails, and I think they want they run to the monument and back, and they do a lot of those. Um, the different routes that you're talking about. It's incredible. Yeah, and it so, is. Yeah, so he's the big, so our, he lives in Arlington, mm-hmm. um, which is, we, it's like the next town. Uh, it's right next to us. It's also one of the little DC suburbs. Um, yeah, my sister-in-law lives in Alexandria. So we've yeah. been meaning to come out and see her. And then my actual sister went to Catholic University of America. Oh, yeah. And so when she was going there, me and my mom visited quite a few times. And so I'm familiar, but not like as a running adult. I've never ran there. So. 
Yeah. I feel like going somewhere and running there gives you a whole new sense of like orientation to an area. Yeah, definitely. You definitely get to see things differently and see how this, it's all connected. Um, But yeah, I feel pretty lucky. What's the weather like there now though? I hear, I hear there's a storm coming. A what? I hear, I feel like there's a storm coming either way right now. I'm dating the the podcast, but. Oh yeah. A Northeaster, a Northeaster, right? We just had it last weekend. Yeah. Last weekend. So we had like, uh, we actually had like a crazy Nor'easter um, Friday into Saturday this last week where like most of the region was without power for a while and um, big trees coming down. Um, it was the wind. The wind was the big piece of that. But yes, yeah, so we just had that. We I don't think we have another one coming. <laughs> Good. Well, so, um, I cannot relate. It's 65 something degrees here maybe and sunny. So. Because you're in Alabama, right? I'm in southern Alabama. I'm actually about um, an hour and 45 minutes north of Panama City Beach. So, Okay. Yeah. It's you're, warm. <laughs> yeah. It is not that warm here. It's we're, It's not bad here today. Um, I ran earlier today. Um, it's cleared up a lot since I ran, actually. It was misty. We had a lot of misty, about 40 degrees. Well, it was 32 when I went out but with like a real feel of 29, but it was just wet. Yeah. How far far did you run today? Uh, Just five. Yeah. A nice five, I should say. Yeah. That's not just five. That's an awesome five. Yeah. It's a nice five. Yes. It was a nice five. What is, Um, what does nice mean for you? Like when you talk about like planning runs then? Um, so like I just think a, that, like a chill five or like an easy. Yeah. Five? Yeah. I had, um, a track workout yesterday morning. So, um, today was kind of just, I ran with a friend. It was, you know, you can chat a little, um, yeah. you can, or you can chat, you chat and, um, it was a social run it was nice. It was nice. But, um, yeah. So five is probably the go-to when I'm training for, um, a marathon that those turns into like sixes and sevens generally. And then, you know, with a longer run, longer runs on the week towards the end of the week. But so anyway, that's something, yeah. that's something I was struggling with. I have struggled with since I started training for my marathon is that every time I look at training plans, I feel like the weekly mileage is probably a little out of my grasp. Mm-hmm. And so I, you look at a lot of the runs and it'll say, okay, go on an hour and a half easy run, you know? And it's like, man, you know, and it'll, it'll have like two or three of those in a week. And a lot of those runs are like closer to like, you know, six, seven, eight miles. And so I struggle with taking easy miles, taking easy days, easy, and actually only running, you know, four or five miles and then doing that long run on the weekend. But I'll save that. I'll save that conversation for later. If you'd like to dive into, you know, your methodology for running coaching. And so, but first, I want to give you the floor and talk a little bit about, you know, who you are, your introduction, and mainly kind of how that revolves around, you know, your introduction to type 1 diabetes. Type 1 has been in our life now 11 years. Um, so I had no ideas what, I mean, I took, you know, in college, I took human anatomy Um because I was a science major and that type of thing. But I still, you know, 11 years ago could not tell you what my pancreas did. Right. Like to me, I was like, do I, 
I know it does something. Um, But um, my daughter was diagnosed at 18 months old. So she was like at that point, pretty statistically in a very small group. Um, And uh, we don't have any other family history of type one diabetes that we know of. Um, And we, we know, uh, all of our family grandparents and we know that, but so it was a total new introduction into our lives. Um, when the doctor, so basically my daughter presented as, you know, the typical, she was only 18 months old. So she, um, was extremely thirsty as we've all known that is a telltale sign, but, um, that didn't really mean a lot to me. Um, and uh, she had lost weight, but she also just started walking. So it was kind of that transition to where you have yeah. the chubby baby to like, they thin out because they're running around. And um, how does she a is, one-year-old articulate thirst? So kind of that when, what was kind of the big thing when she's my second too, uh, she has an, a brother who's 18 months older than her. Um, the kind of the cool thing and what parents were doing at that point, and which is still a very useful thing is you, she, she knew sign language. Mm -hmm. Um, so she knew the sign for milk and water, which, um, the sign for water is like to, you have, you make a W with your thing, you take your thumb and pull in your pinky and you make a W with your middle three fingers and you bring it up to your, um, mouth. Um, and you make a sign for water. So she would continually sign for water, water. And I would give her a sippy cup of water. She'd down it and she'd ask for more water, water. And it was interesting because, um, we had taken her, she also had a very odd diaper rash, which I don't know if your listeners are interested in any of this because it's actually just very more like small child care. Um, Well, I do have, I have a lot of type one parents that listen. And so it's, that's why I was really excited to have you on because your, yeah. your perspective was, is so interesting. Yeah. It was the most bizarre diaper rash. Um, she had, uh, and we took her in and they, you know, gave us all, I couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't, no matter what, I just couldn't get rid of this diaper rash. And we'd had some good diaper rash experience under our belts. So I'm like, this is weird. I can't get rid of this. Um, and I'd also mentioned at that time to the pediatrician how thirsty she was. And the pediatrician told me at that time, they're like, well, maybe you're giving her too much water to drink. And she's washed out the salts in her kidneys, which means that it's making her more thirsty. Type one was never really on the radar. I remember a night nurse, um, I was basically in tears with the night, you know, you call the pediatrician, you get the night nurse. Um, there is something wrong with my child. Like, I don't know what is going on. She is not running a fever. She's frantic and she won't, can't sleep and she's listless and she's upset, but she has no fever. She's busting through all of her diapers and she, um, is super thirsty. And they asked me, they're like, well, do you have any family members that have type one diabetes? And I said, no, what's that? And they said, oh, well then it's probably not that. So it was really dismissed for another good two weeks because we didn't have any familial connection. Um, 
I ran her into the pediatrician the next day. Um, like I'd been in the pediatrician for the diaper rash, asked about the thirst. Um, a week later, I'm on the phone with the night nurse, still no answers. So I take her, I took her into the pediatrician the next day, leaving my mom in the car who happened to be visiting from California with my then um, three-year-old son. I'm just going to run in and get her checked see what they can do because something's got to be going on. You know, we didn't bring him into the pediatrician because I was like, I don't want him to catch anything and it should only be a few minutes. So you guys just hang out and play in the car, you know, hang out in the car. Um, and they then put, you know, they tested her urine by putting, um, they put cotton balls in her diaper and then they actually tested it. And then, you know, that's when the first time you get told, okay, we're going to take you into the doctor's office and we're going to need to talk to you for a few minutes. Mm. And so, yeah. And that's when you kind of realize, huh, this is different. And, you know, he told me, um, he sat me down and he said, your daughter has type one diabetes and we need to go for her to go to the hospital right now. And I, I said, Oh, well, she hasn't eaten. Can I stop and get her something to eat along the way? My son's in the car. And he's like, no, you need to go right now and probably you shouldn't really feed her anything at this point. Um, and she, and he discussed like which hospital I should take her into. We took her into Georgetown because, um, the other hospital was the other endocrine, the other endocrinologist wasn't accepting patients. And he's like, you need to like your endocrinologist. I still remember that because you are going to have a long relationship with them. And I said, wait, but well, how, how long do you, will this take? Like, how long do you see? He's like, no, you, this is going to be a long relationship. So you need to, when you meet them, you need to ha be able to talk with them. Like um, it, it didn't click yet that this was no, incurable. It didn't. Like I was ready to go feed her like chicken nuggets and like go, you know, and, um, <laughs> yeah. So, and, um, so her blood sugar upon intake at, at Georgetown was 711. So she was, Eesh. well, I mean, I mean, and so it was, and it was Easter that weekend. I remember um, the Easter runner still found her there at Georgetown. Um, and um, that is where our journey began. Um, you know, she started with, for those with type one, no, she started at that point, she was put on NPH because Lantus wasn't even um, FDA approved for children. So um, it was a tough, you know, at that point, you know, it was like she had to have 15 carbs for a snack, 30 carbs for lunch. And kids don't, 18 month olds don't eat 15 carbs of what you, and you had to pre, you had to feed the highs of, or the peaks of the NPH. So it was interesting. We quickly tried to move to Landis, but her doctor didn't want to prescribe that for her off-label. So I had to search that out. Um, Landis, we had a little trouble with overnight, an overnight hot, like, peak, which doesn't always happen, but can happen. Um, and so within six months, we were on a pump, which was also off-label and not, nobody was kind of crazy about putting the two-year-old at that point on a pump. Yeah. And now there's tons of little ones running around. Mm -hmm. So, wow, <laughs> you're the first, you're the first type one, you know, parent I've interviewed. So this is, 
Yeah, super new to me only because I'm relatively new to type 1 diabetes as well. And so all I've ever seen is, you know, the adult perspective. And so, you know, for it to be diagnosed in an 18-month-old, that's it's crazy to me. I, you know, I'm sure it's everyday life for a lot of people. So, Yeah, it was it was a whole inter yes it was a new and yes just like the whole process of um yeah communicating with her trying to make her understand that it was going to be okay and like all of the needles learning to give injections to a two-year-old like or 18 month old at that point like holding her down for it you know Mm -hmm. that's it was a different, you know, um, but here we are. She is, um, she's 12 years old. She's a year round competitive swimmer. She runs cross country. She's done triathlons. She dances. Um, yeah, she swims five days a week, two hours a day. Yeah. So, and what is your, um, what is her name? What is her name? Her name's Isabel. Isabel. Yeah. Isabel. And so at what point did, you feel really comfortable. I mean, I guess if she grew up with type one, you just always felt comfortable with her exercising with type one. Cause that's all, it's the only exercise she's ever done. Yeah. I wouldn't, I mean, I am still not always comfortable really? with her exercising with type one. Um, what is the, like, what's the, what do you worry about the most? So it's a struggle, right? So um, if you were to hear, so she ran cross country this, she ran like five K's in cross country from, she probably ran her first five K like eight ish or seven ish or so. And well, and she did her first tri- small triathlon about the same age. She's done this one mother's day one for years. Um, and even swim me. So I guess I am comfortable with her running generally. Um, I'm all, I mean, I'm, she's going to do it all. She's going to do it all because we kind of have made this decision that it will not, def- it is part of who she is, but it yeah. will not like she's define gonna, Like she's going to do yeah. it regardless. It just do. depends on how she's comfortable you are. And she's, been, um, and she's been swimming like in swim meets since she, she started swimming competitively, like in the summer league when she was four. And then she started with a year round club at, at about six. But swimming is hard for harder for her. And I'm interested, it's interesting to hear, um, other athletes with type one, and we've been doing a lot of research for it because, um, she is more comfortable with monitoring her blood sugars running. She is able to keep it a better feel for them. Um, swimming is harder for her in longer practices. And we're kind of running up against that right now because, she's kind of at that age where practice is starting to hurt, meaning like you work, it's going to be hard sets. They're really hard sets. You're going to be tired. You're going to be, you're going to feel some exhaustion and defining that feeling of exhaustion in the water is harder for her. And she has a greater fear of going low in the water than she said, than she would be out on a run for five miles. Absolutely. Yeah. I was, I had Sean Walsh, who's a a pretty competitive triathlete, and he was, yeah. you know, he was a swimmer yeah. in college at the at West Point, and we talked about that as well about how just something about the water and you lose like that feeling of your skin crawling when mm-hmm. you're in the water, like you just you, you lose that ability to perceive a low when you're in the water, and so 
yeah, I, tr- I still try and swim, you know, a couple to a few miles a week if I can. And it always makes me the most nervous. Yeah. Because I can drop from 180 to 80 and I really don't perceive it as much as if I was running. Um, you just have more body yeah. awareness maybe when you're running. It's, it's frightening for her. And I think she's trying to work through it. We're really trying to work through it for her and both strategizing, um, you know, and I know you talked a little bit, I've heard on some of your other podcasts, you know, cause she's on fast acting insulin. Um, and so she, and she generally unplugs from her pump during swim practice, Yeah. but you have the insulin on board, you've got, and it's hard. You don't want to get that post-practice high from being unplugged. Mm-hmm. So you like pre-bolus some of the basal you're missing, Yep. but you got like, all kinds of like time of day, um, as you understand all those things, what was happening that day. And then, you know, swim meets is a whole nother issue because the, um, adrenaline and the stress, but yet you're not working as hard because they're short, faster races. It's not as an endurance as like a practice is. Um, so we're really working through those issues with her. She is, um, it's funny because I think just this last year, there've been moments where I'm like, why are we putting her in the pool still? You know, and because, but yeah, I'm not willing to let her, you know, and she, but she almost swimming is part of her identity in her mind. Like she sees herself, she's been swimming since she can remember. And, um, she'll, you know, she did really well in cross country this last year in school and she, does well running and she would actually attribute it to being a swimmer, you know, having that endurance, um, and that, that cross training, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it and carries she, over for sure. Yes. And so, um, we've utilized, you know, she wears an Apple watch. She wears a, a smart watch. We're trying to help use that in the pool. Um, trying to get it to pick up her, her CGM. Mm-hmm. So, you know, between the the phone being on deck, the Apple watch on her wrist, we're trying to give her some comfort in, um, so she's on the Dexcom. Yeah. She wears a Dexcom. She's How involved are you now with her blood sugar now that she's a little older when she's doing sport? Like, do you feel just as involved as when she was younger and you were the sole manager of it? Or is she kind of picked up some responsibility for where her blood sugars are, like maybe before and after practice or during practice, or are you still really involved in that process? So she's, she is the manager of it. I mean, she really is. Um, The transition has been slowly throughout her life. Um, I, she gets the texts from mom, have you cried, you know, sugar, 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 <laughs> um, you know, and her, I, she, like, I, I was like, if you don't want me to call your coach or do you, if you don't want me to show up on deck, yeah. you need to at least give me a thumbs up, <laughs> I, you know, a thumbs up on your watch to tell me that you've done something about this. That's you know? so funny. My wife uh, does that to me too, but I can ignore her and she doesn't do anything about it, but. She doesn't, show up, she doesn't show up at work or no, she doesn't, <laughs> but she will, she will continually message me cause she'll be annoyed cause she'll continue to get alarms. And so I'm not on the Dexcom now, but when I was sometimes depending on, you know, how far I was running or what I was doing, I would get like false lows and I would just ignore them, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't go in the app and change it. 
And so it would just say yeah. 50 and 50. It would just read 50 for like an hour and she'd get so mad at me because she's getting alarms <laughs> over and over again. Yeah, I know. Well, so I, it has come to the point where there have been times when I've actually, like I said, um, I call the office of, you know, the DM studio or I call her coach on deck and or I show up on deck and say, are you OK? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, mom, you know, walls her eyes. And she's I was like, and I remind her, I said, all you had to do is respond to me. And I would have let, I mean, I trust, Yeah. you know, because she has realized that um, if she wanted to do the things, if she wanted to go on play dates as a kid, she had to show me that she was able to be responsible. And she is amazingly responsible I have to for you know she's 12 but she's and I have to be like okay but she's still 12 you know but um I think it's I mean she's a very serious I mean I she's gotten to the point recently I feel like where I've started to see a little bit more the lightheartedness come back in times but I feel like um it's definitely made her a more serious individual um and life is just not as quite as lighthearted you know yeah. um responsibility does that to people yeah so um but we are this the endurance piece you know and i it's hard like even i've had her out with me um i've worked with a youth group a youth triathlon training group and um on the track and she'll come out and do track workouts and you know it's hard as i'm sure you you experience too as an athlete with type one to have your body not respond the way you think it should or it's going to and mm -hmm. then you have to you have to take a step back and you're you know um yeah it's a blow to your self-confidence i was the type of guy you know my whole life that i just for some reason oozed self-confidence even i didn't even need self-confidence because I had no ability or skill or I wasn't great at anything, but you know, just maybe being in the military or just being, you know, just a confident guy, I relied on like self-confidence. And that's one thing, like, kind of like you said, is you've kind of, as a type one athlete, you at sometimes you just lose all self-confidence in your abilities to do anything. So for instance, I, I remember one time I went out for a run and I started at 80 and I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to have, I'm going to chug this whole Gatorade and I'm going to stick it through this run. I know I'll come up. And I never came up and yeah. I just continued to get lower and lower and lower. And it was so frustrating. And it just, it almost made me want to quit running forever. Cause I like, you know, lose self-confidence in my ability to manage my blood sugars. And then I convinced myself that that is like my self-worth, you know? So, oh, I wasn't able to manage my blood sugars for this run. You know, now I'm a terrible athlete and now I'm a terrible person. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it really, it strips you of your self-confidence and it, it takes time to build that. I, you know, I'm not even a year into it. So maybe. You know, people are yeah. really better at building their self-confidence up after, you know, a bad blood sugar day or, you know, a bad workout. But I can imagine it's hard for her too, being 12 and growing into your self-confidence while yeah. managing diabetes at the same time. And so uh, I feel, I feel, I know I feel very passionately about, you know, how that's probably going out for her. So, yeah, well, and right now, cause we have, she's also 12, she's going into where her endocrine system is going out of control too, because she's going into puberty or she's in puberty. So, or going into puberty. So 
her, as you know, all those hormones make you more insulin resistant at moments, make you more, it's like, so her endocrine system and her hormone levels are just constantly shifting. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's what works yesterday. Um, she had an instance, um, she was trying to make a cut time for a junior, like a big swim meet, a junior Olympic meet. And she literally is like, okay, I know like she was a little bit, she was like 200 going into the meet. So she was a little bit high and she's like, I know that I'm dropping though. And she was, when her, when the time came up for her to swim for her event, she was like, it says I'm only a hundred. It says I should feel okay. But she felt awful because she had dropped from like 200 to 100 in the matter of like 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and you'll still you'll still be on your way down. Yeah, even if Dex, so wherever like, Dex is, you're leveling out, leveling out at. Awful, and I cannot. And she she did, and she swam. She it was a not a good time for her, and yet she felt that crunch and like this is my last shot to get this cut. I'm gonna do this, and I mean this is the first year I pulled. I had to pull her off deck one other time as a smaller, like when she was swimming in a relay for a club, because she was like, she was, she was low, she was going low and she was low and, um, she, but she was, didn't even realize it. And she was fighting me about it. And she was fighting her coach about it because she just wanted to swim. Um, and she felt, and I was like, you can't, it's not safe. And, um, that was probably when she was like eight or nine. And then we kind of have been in a decent place where, she hadn't, I, she hadn't have, had to scratch an event, but this last year she's had to scratch like three or four events. Like I, I think I made it, I made a, I had a post about it because yeah. she had to scratch her first event and she's like, I'm okay with this. And I'm like, I mean, she wasn't happy about it, but she's like this, she had a better perspective. Cause I was like, I'm like, are you okay? And you know, I'm stressed and worried about it. She's like, I'm going to feel better. I will get through this. What does she normally like to start a swim at? Pardon me? What does she normally like to start a swim at, blood sugar wise? Uh, See, she she likes to start more like 180 to 200. Or even because um, being a kid, they also, you're, you're, they like, they don't want you to be quite as tight as an adult Mm -hmm. in your um, blood sugar range. Um, you know, and she like our it's funny because our endocrinologist or her endocrinologist really is trying to talk her into like being even more comfortable with 160 or um, but she she is not comfortable with that. She you know what I mean? She really like pre-race um, or throughout the day? Uh, pre-race, like pre pre-workout, I would yeah. say pre-race is race is different too because like i said there's the adrenaline factor mm-hmm. and you're not it's it's not a workout per se because like a, you know like a swim event is you know a long swim event unless they're doing you know is generally like a couple minutes a short swim event is just seconds like 20 some seconds even you yeah. know um so you're not getting it's the adrenaline piece more um but she she likes to have more of a cushion, so she likes to be higher. And is that is that regardless of what time of day it is, or? Ye- yes, gen- like re- yes, 
Okay. She likes to have it regardless of what time of day it is. Um, so she, if she wakes up in the morning and she wants to do like, if y'all like it went on a family fasting run, Mm-hmm. she would still like if she woke up at 100 she would eat until she got until oh. y'all thought she would get to 200 yep okay yep she would yep. yeah no i'm and- always curious about different times of the day too because it's so different for everyone and everyone's got you know these different requirements so it's really interesting to see how everyone copes with it so and where your mental where you feel that mental line you're safe at you know or because like her endocrinologist can tell her you are okay at this. You will be fine. It won't drop fast. And she's like, nah, I don't. <laughs> I, I was um, explaining that to a buddy of mine the other day. Um, it was like one of my online diabetic friends is that, you know, if you have to worry about your blood sugar for even one minute during a 5k, you know, that's, yeah. a, that's a, a really long time. You know, it's probably enough to slow you down to the point where you're not at threshold like you'd want to be like if you're racing like if you're going to pr your 5k and you spend a whole minute of the 20 minutes that you're running worrying about okay is my blood sugar going to go low you're probably in, like involuntarily going to slow down or involuntarily involuntarily slowing down mm-hmm. and so yeah I, yeah you got to be comfortable I, yeah i mean she like her, one of her first 5ks um she was like i was running with her and i mean because i ran i always ran with her this is the first year she has, I've let her run and I've not been next to her. Um, and that was hard for me. Um, the CGM played a big part in the fact that I had to let go because she was running in school events. It's not like I can run in a middle school cross country meet through the woods <laughs> next to her. Do you know yeah. what I mean? They, I mean as much as you'd like me. to, I'm sure. They might've let me, but um, they 12, year old who is around the 13 and 14 year old and the high school team was there too, does not want her mother to run next to her. Um, and actually she's getting to the point I, she's hard to keep up with sometimes. Um, how fast is she running a 5k now? I think her PR is 23, 24, 24, something 24 change. Yeah. She's moving. Yeah. She's doing well, but um, her first 5k, I remember she, I was feeding her a banana and the last half a block, not knowing what her blood sugar was because she started, cr- well, and she's a little kid and here she's like, she's pushing herself to run this 5k and she's crying <laughs> and I'm like trying to shove food down her throat because yeah. I don't know if she's crying because she's low or she's crying because it hurts and she's crying because it's hard, but she won't stop. Um, you know, so the, I remember still how traumatic that was and i she ate a whole banana in the course of that last mile and she still came out at like an she was like 80 when i finally got to stop and check her so she probably was going low or low you know um she ran the same the 5k this year and i was running with her brother behind her but because she wears a cgm now i i'm constant i know where she's at you know, and when it's she, a different when she runs her events, does she run with her phone on her? She does. So yeah. she, she does. Mm-hmm. She runs, um, she wears like kind of like, um, the, the, the bands we all like around your waist, you know, yeah, and it has pockets. Belt. Yeah. The flip belt. She wears like yeah. a flip belt. Um, except she has one that's actually like made for her pump. Um, you know, and she wears, um, cause the flip belts were too big when we started, um, even the smallest foot belt. 
Um, now she could fit into a regular flip belt. Um, and now they make kids ones. They didn't used to make kids sized. Yeah. Yeah. That. I mean, she started with wearing her pump in like a little um, kids onesie with a pocket sewn on the back. You know. Um, yeah. So she is yeah. she still rot like a tubed pump. She does. She does not wear. Um, yes. Yeah, so she wears an animus ping. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so she wears the animus. We've had three. We started before the ping. We had like the animus 2020. I want to say we've been through three animuses. Um, obviously, we're going to have to move to a different pump since the animus is no longer going to be making um, be around. Um, we looked at that. The Omnipod has changed a lot. Um, since we started, um, but for her, I think because being a swimmer and her arm still isn't that big, her, the real estate of her body, um, and the drag of it, um, the drag of the Omnipod is something. So unless we, depending on where it's placed, like she wears her CGM, um, like kind of in her lower back top of her buttocks area. Mm-hmm. Um, and she always wears it there, even though the endocrinologist would love for us to explore other options. Um, we tried her arms, which is pretty typical where people start with a CGM and, um, the drag, the drag <laughs> water. It See, just I've never, me. I've never done on the arm either. It just, I always stuck into, it sounds like me and her would stick with about the same areas, you yeah. know, and it, it, at least with the decks too, like mine, I, I usually kept it on my stomach. It, you know, you don't have to worry about like losing, you know, insulin absorption or anything in that area. I mean, generally, yeah, as long as you move it around a little bit, you're probably going to get accurate results. And I'm not a doctor, so I'm sure, you know, yeah. Dexcom representatives are like already sending me hate mail for that <laughs> word, but saying, yeah, you need yeah, to do so, it. But yeah, I mean, especially with, you know, if her pump's working great for her now, I wouldn't recommend changing anything, you know, why fix it if it's not broken, you know? Yeah. Well, so, and she, um, like I said, she does unplug generally for practice, which I'm not a total fan of, and I don't think her endocrinologist would be a fan of. Yeah. Um, but it good because as you know, it's hard to control, um, you get those post-practice highs, both the post-practice yeah. just from the adrenal, the, the workout mm-hmm. and kind of the muscle work that you've done, kind of that post, that release from the liver, but then also just being unplugged um, with fast-acting insulin. Um, so we're working. do y'all feel comfortable staying off of the pump for like a workout? Like how long would she stay off? That so, she's, so she's, so she checks back in and I'll plug in mid-practice and bolus like do small boluses in between you know she'll pop out of the pool and pull us but her practices are two hours long so you i mean she could be unplugged for that long but we she initially when she started to do this she started to do it on her own unplugging for that long and then we're like "Whoa, whoa, whoa this is not working you know we need to because then we were trying to get it back under control afterwards was quite the tedious task. So um, I have a dumb question for you. And I, yeah. I, when I was on the, I was, uh, on a pump and I recently had come off of it or I've, I'm still off of it, but mm-hmm. when I was on it and I was swimming a lot, I did the same thing. So I would unplug and I would do about a 30 minute swim and then I would want to go bolus afterwards to kind of compensate for some of that lost yeah. insulin. But I would feel nervous 
immediately plugging into my pump without having like rinsed off the pump site. Is that something that you guys were, is that something that I was even supposed to be worrying about? Cause in my mind, my pump site was just full of like gross chlorine pool water. Yeah. And I haven't rinsed uh, it off and you I'm going to put on so my funny. insulin pump it's, and I'm going to insulin. Am I supposed to rinse it? Do you guys rinse it? I mean, I, you guys have probably done it more than well, anyone. Well, you know, that's so. a good point. It's so funny that because now you say that, I'm like, yeah. But we have never, um, once again, going to the fact that she's been swimming with actually this particular, you know, these kind of sites and this pump since she was four. Yeah. Um, we have never done that. And we've never even used, um, for a way. while she was using... Um, the straight contact detach where you can, and it gives a little piece that you can plug in the end to like cap it off when you're not using it and that type of, yeah, we didn't ever, no, we never yeah. used it. Yep. I never used that either. It's supposed to like make it so that it doesn't like uh, yeah. to stick to your towels when you're drying off. But yeah, no, no. She just plugs it straight back in, unplugs it, wraps yeah. it up. And you um, might not need to rinse at all. I actually, I remember once I looked, I was like trying to look online, like through the user manual and it never addressed that. Like it never addressed like the hygiene part of whether or not you should rinse the site off before injecting insulin again. But I, I was weird about it. So I would go to the bathroom and like splash water on it, you know, yeah, to try and get I, like to flush out whatever chlorine yeah, water. Yeah, maybe yeah, is I'm going to be like, maybe you should rinse your pump. Before yeah, I know. The last thing I want to do is to give you one more thing to worry yeah, about, but it's just, yeah, um, you know, it's just something that my mind would worry about. And I was new to a pump and I was new to type one. And so I was always trying to like make everything perfect. You know what I mean? And I'm trying to think of this site, both like, you know, um, if how much of it, what is exposed, you know, while you're swimming or while, what is, what is getting wet, you know? Um, but no, we don't. Okay. She doesn't. Yeah, no, I feel I'm just going to follow your guidance on this. Not that that's guidance, but. Yeah, no, I, I total, I'm not, you know, I'm sure endocrinologists would not agree. I'm sure that, you know, um, Animus and Dexcom would probably, you know, come uh, because, yeah, no, she just throws it in her bag. She wraps up the, the tubing, throws it in her bag, you know, pulls yeah. it out, plugs it in. Um well, for anyone listening, we're all curious as to what we're actually supposed to be doing because that's not something your endocrinologist is ever going to bring up, you know. So well, if anyone so, out there wants to shoot either of us a message as to like what the yeah, the book says to do, I'd be know. open to hearing it. Yeah. I might not do it, but I might be open to listening, you know. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure you found as um, you walk the walk, um, medical professionals, even the best meaning and the most um they, they we have a great endocrinologist right now but like you know as a parent too i had endocrinologists say telling me things and i'm like mm, but that's not what life really looks like at home and that's not really so you you know and even in adjusting your own settings and your your basils and your ratios and insulin how long active you know, the active period of insulin, all those things, you all walk that walk 24-7. So half the time medical professionals are very well, they have great information and we need them, but the fine tuning and nuances of it, 
you live with. So you kind of know how it feels. You know what it looks like. You know what your day looks like. Um, It's funny. I can't tell you how many times we've come back from, like, changing settings at a doctor's appointment. And I'm like, whoa, this didn't work. You know, and I'm like, okay, this is what we need to do. Yeah, you're your own. You got to be your own endo, you know, in between appointments, yeah. you know. So, how comfortable are you now, or I guess how integrated are you now with the changing of the settings? Does she do any of that, or is that still all of you? So, um, she doesn't. She, she knows how. She knows how to reduce her basal. She knows how to turn off her basal. She knows how to do like a combo bolus. She 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 changes her sight. Um, she can refill her pump, but I still do it generally for her um, because I kind of, I know that um, I was listening to another podcast of a parent and I see that too, where you want your child to be totally own it and be fully independent. But she's been doing this since she was 18 months old and she has an unforeseeable amount of time ahead of her still to do these things. So I kind of feel like if I can do it for her these times, I try to do it for her because it's, as you know, it's exhausting and you don't feel like, and you don't, and it's another thing to do. So she, to answer your question, I do setting changes. She kind of knows how to do those things. She can do the other things pretty independently where I'll be like, okay, turn off or reduce your basal by 20% for the next hour and a half or, you know, do those things. She'll pull out her pump and do it. Um, but there are even times, you know, when she's really tired after a day at school or a day a practice or something where she'll be like, she is just starving and she'll be like, can you bolus me? Um, and I said, okay, I'll bolus you, you know? And so I'll even bolus for her, which she's taught, she's been bolusing since herself, you know, obviously with supervision, supervision, but she's been bolusing herself since she was like four or five years old, you know, with supervision at that point, it was literally like me watching her yeah. uh, and me, but like we showed, she learned how to do it when she got on the pump, you know, it's always been since she can probably remember, she like kind of knew how to do it. Um, it was just, you know, one of those things, but she still, I, sometimes I still, I mean, I would probably bolus for her every other day, at least once, you know, or, um, when I come in at night to say good night to her, she'll be like, can you just check my blood sugar for me? <laughs> and I said, okay. Yeah. I said, sure. Okay. You like, know, like a manual check. Yeah. Like a manual check, like yeah. the, to put in her, to calibrate. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, oh yeah. And I always am checking, like the CGM wise, you know, as you know, we have the alarm. So at night, um, it's like part of your battle rhythm when you're looking through your phone, you know, time, you know, check her decks and then yep. put it down. Exactly. Yeah. And checks. And, um, and I wear a smartwatch for the same reason too. Um, so like my, I just, in fact, I just got a glucose notification from her. She's running high right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, and so she's coming out of school. So she probably just ate something and she's going to lacrosse practice. So she plays um, lacrosse too. 
she just, this is her first season. So yeah, she's picking it up at school. So she is headed straight down though from 250. So, um, I don't know that straight down arrow little, I don't worries me a little. I mean, she'll catch it though. I mean, you know, it's that, um, yeah, we, and we actually just got, she was, you know, according to her brother, who's a year and a half older than her, she was so lucky at Christmas because she got an Apple Watch um, where he would just love to have at 14, something yeah. like that. Like, no way, you're not getting an Apple Watch. You, <laughs> we're barely letting you have access to the phone, you know. Yeah. Um, but because we were finding that uh, in her school setting right now, not a lot of girls, phones aren't allowed. And they would, of course, make that exception for her. And, of course, she can get out her phone to see her blood sugar. But since nobody else has phones, she was she would run high during the day. And her Dexcom would be, like, freaking out on my wrist, on her dad's phone, on my phone. And she wasn't doing anything about it. She wasn't responding um, because she wasn't pulling out her phone and she didn't want to check and she didn't want to check her blood sugar in front of everybody. You know, she just doesn't, she's at that age where she doesn't want to be different. Yeah. Um, I still don't want to be different. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, none of us really, we don't look to, you know, stand out sometimes for these things. Um, so the Apple watch or the smart, you know, the smart watch came into play because it vibrates on her wrist so she doesn't have to have her phone out, and then she can just bolus then appropriately and respond um, to the notifications without having anybody else. And, I mean, for that matter, she doesn't even have to pull it out at lunch. Um, you know, she can see her blood sugar on her wrist and then um, bolus from there. Um so, yes, it's, you know, the technology is helpful. She's wearing the app and going back to, you you know, she's wearing the smartwatch in the pool. Um, we're trying to get it to work with. So she maybe wouldn't have to run with her phone in order to pick up the blood sugar because with a new cellular in the smartwatches. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't Ooh. figured out how to connect you disconnect from the phone to connect to the watch. See, I didn't know you could do that. Is that an option like that the G5 lets you do now? Well, so we're trying to figure it out right now. So I can't really, I need to spend some time, some more time with Dexcom because it's more on the Dexcom side too, because um, you, cause you pair the device with the phone, you know, you pair, you pair your CGM with your phone and it's getting, it to switch to the watch. Yeah. Do you see Yeah. So, Absolutely. So, I'm, I'm actually okay. jealous that I'm not on a Dexcom now because I had a huge pasta lunch. <laughs> and I all, like, I know that there's the potential for me to go low after I eat a bunch of pasta. Yeah. Um, and so here I am checking my blood sugar manually while you're talking about yeah. the Dexcom. <laughs> so if you hear any, like, poppy noises, that's just, just me checking my blood sugar. Just, yeah, just your your... Um, checking it out and bulletin, but yeah, so, so it is, it's, it's, it's nice because, well, and then we can hold her more accountable, like in that regard where, you know, it's on your wrist, you, and she can respond to me. It's on her wrist because, you know, she doesn't want to be, be texting 
but she can just like pop the thumbs up on the smartwatch. It's just like a, you know, you just touch the screen and send it to me. Mom, quit bothering me. Yes, I have it under control. I see it. Yeah. See, my wife's probably glad that I don't have the Dexcom on now because she wouldn't be getting alerts while I do this interview that I'm at 52. She would, yeah, she'd be getting the little vibrations on her wrist saying, "Yeah, your husband's at fifty-two. Oh, um, yeah, that happened. Actually, I ate the same meal last night. We had like bow tie pasta, and mm-hmm. I ate and bolus at the same time, which I rarely do because I normally like to pre bolus. But for me, yeah, I can eat pasta, and I'll. I'm almost to the point now where I'm tempted to like start like doing two different injections or like eating pasta and then oh. waiting twenty minutes before I inject. Because I'll go low, and if I eat, I know I'm just going to be high later. So sometimes I just have to ride it, which is yeah. unfortunate. But so we delay a lot. Sometimes we delay um, with pasta. We delay the insulin um, completely, almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. We like we delay the bolus. Um, Learn something new every day. Yeah, but <laughs> well, and it's a moving target sometimes too. Yeah, every, yeah. You can eat the same meal two different weeks, and it's two different outcomes. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was, yes, I was um, listening to some other, like, I, data is helpful, but I still, I, 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 I don't know if I just don't have the handle on it or the ever-changing of our body, where some people are like, I, I got all the data, I crunched it out, I know what's going to happen. Sometimes I'm always just, we're just thrown a loop. Like, yeah. It, yeah. Even the people that claim to have all the data, it's still only like a, even if you, yeah. if you claim to have all the data and you claim to be like perfectly controlled, which no yeah. one's perfect, but even that is only like 80% right. You know, like th- there's another 20% or another 20% of your day, which is a couple hours that you're going to mm-hmm. be completely wrong. You know? I know. So it's like, man, yeah. whatever. You just yeah. lived it. You know, you live to run and you go on. <laughs> At least well, yeah. And you lived, you like going back to like those workouts or those races or those events where sometimes your blood sugar is just not working for you. You just have to be able to like, okay, today is not the day. Yeah. So where is she at with running now? Are you guys running now? Or this obviously isn't running season in the winter and Um, she still runs some. Yeah. She still runs some, not as much as she does in the fall and in the spring. Um, So she'll be doing that some more she'll be doing um she does like i said a couple triathlons a year um that uh her she usually does one kind of the beginning is mother's day um she always does this one and then there's been a couple others she does throughout the summer or throughout the tri season um and she she likes to go out to run and we'll go run a little bit together but um i used to have a a mother daughter run club that we used, she used to come, we used to do all the time. And it sounds incredible. So yeah, she runs, she still runs not as much right now because right now, especially where we live, the weather, but um, how about you? What are you training for? Well, so I have a marathon in the fall on the calendar and Mm -hmm. we'll see how I forget ready for that. Um, I have a half next month. And a 10-miler, which are kind of fun. They'll be kind of check-ins. Um, I haven't really ran a marathon in a, li- a, a little while. Like, this has been the longest. Like, it's been about a year and a half since I ran one. So, for me, it was. Been, I, I kind of took a little step back. And 
things were kind of busy at home and with the house, you know, with my family. And um, so I continued to run and I ran halves and 10 milers and um, like the Radner type relays and things yeah. like that and running events. But this fall marathon will be the first one I've like train. I'm, tra- I'm planning on really training for mm-hmm. <laughs> committing to training. You know, I like I ran one a little while ago where I trained to get through it but I didn't train to do it well. So I'm trying to refocus. So as a running coach, are you good at taking your own advice? No. No. (laughs) So I actually, this is the first time I've actually, for the very first time, I just hired a coach Um, because I needed, I'd be like, oh, that, that's a, I'll just run that, their, their, their training run with them. I can do that one too. That'll work for me you know, because I'll want to go run with a friend or I'm like, oh, and I would follow like mileage plans and like I would do my speed workouts kind of, but I wouldn't um, thoughtfully plan my own training. I couldn't get outside of my own head. Yeah. Kind of. um, so I needed, I, it's been fun. It's only been about a month. I've had a coach um, and she is like so thoughtful and knowledgeable and uh, I'm learning new things and, you know, she's making me, she's like, you need to slow down and bring that heart rate down for those long, she's like, you need to like bring up your lactate threshold, you know, so it's, it's great because it's just getting outside of my own head, like things that, you know, it's good, like she, I have scheduled tomorrow, I'm supposed to walk for 40 minutes before I teach, I teach a strength training class, I was like, oh, I would have never thought to put in a walk into my train and you know right now I'm not into full marathon training it's kind of just building a base but um I'm like that I see why she did it I think that it's a great idea I would for my own out like other athletes I see why you know but I wouldn't have thought to put it in and it's nice someone tells me I need to walk for for 40 minutes just time on your feet building that time on your feet um and I was like yeah that's a great idea and then it's like a great excuse to have a nice walk, you know, and, a solid walk. And so you're looking forward to it. Yeah, I am. I'm excited. <laughs> and I, it gives me a chance to um, to meet up with um, other friends that I may not necessarily run with um, or, you know, um, then but I, we can walk together. And that's kind of nice. And it's different social, you know, almost like a social event, you know, there. so an active social event. So. I would be worried that I would start jogging at one point just to be like, all right, you know, I'm just going to get my heart rate up a little. Oh, yeah. No, and it's so funny. In the instruction, it says, do not even think about running. (laughs) (laughs) Not even a step. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, she, and she can tell because I, you know, I I give her my heart rate data and that stuff too. So it's fun. It's good. It's a different space. And so what would be your advice to someone who's wanting to start running and to start getting into Maybe they want to start running 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons. Like, what is the best way to get involved with running and start running? You know, you have a run coach. If someone hired you as their run coach to kind of get involved and to get, you know, healthy and fast, where's like your, what's like your baseline methodology that you would use to help someone? Well, I think that it depends on if they're starting like from not running at all. It all depends on where you're starting. Um, and if you're starting from total ground zero, you know, the run walk 
um, and increasing those run intervals, you know, starting with longer walk intervals and smaller run intervals and moving to a place where your run er intervals are longer than your walk intervals. Um, and then kind of building that direction and then to move into running, um, I think is, you know, the starting ground. Um, and that's basically where, you know, I recommend most people start is just getting out there. I mean, just getting out there is the hardest start and committing, um, committing to a plan, committing to a goal. It's scary. So for people, it's scary for me, you know. I hadn't, you know, it's scary for me. I signed up for the marathon a couple months ago and I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to run it. And, you know, it's scary for me to commit to goals. You know, um, I'm looking at, you know, maybe even doing a long couple longer um, events. But committing as always commitment, commitment to yourself, commitment to a goal. Yeah, I that's why you got to sign up for a race. Yeah, <laughs> Even long yeah. before you're prepared for it, sign up for exactly. it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then you're sign committed. Up. Sign up. You're locked in. Sign up and tell someone you signed up and find uh, others that are also committed. Finding a group. Finding a group is also a group that you can find people to run with that'll hold you accountable. Um, you know, it's hard to get up in the dark and run if you don't have others to meet out there. You know, having someone that's going to check in and say, hey, you, I haven't seen you out running or you haven't met us for a run lately. Even if it's just like once a week checking in with running with someone else and you have to do your other runs on your own, it's nice to have a group. You know, like especially like such amazing um, groups are coming, especially for those who are athletes with type one, like the type one run, the Diabetes Sports Project, um, we Type 1 Run chapter just started here. I just started to see their um, their things coming out. They're getting together. They um, have an event like coming up that they're trying to get people to sign up for and commit to. Absolutely. Um, yes. So I think it's a 10 miler and, you know, that they're trying to see who's going to come out for. Um, but it's great. I mean, the chapter's only been up and running, I want to say. A month, maybe, maybe yeah. two. Are you gonna go? Um, I, I, I've been involved, and I've been. I have a friend who has type one, who's a runner, and she is, she is going. I, since I don't have type one myself. Yeah. I, oh, I I'm sure they'd the, still love to have you. Yeah, I check in with the group, and I'm like always up for help, and I've like showed. Um, so I, I hope to make some of their events. Yes, and awesome. introduce myself as just, hey, I'm a mom that. You know, my daughter and bring Ivy along. I um, it's funny. I know you had a member of Team Norvo Nordisk, um, the cycling team. Um, so my husband's a cyclist, and it goes to also spectates by races where they raced at. And you know, he brings back Isabel the full kit, so she has the full bike kit that says oh, Team awesome. Norvo Nordisk. You know, um, trying to introduce her to endurance athlete like that overcome to show her that you have this you don't wear this badge on the outside people don't know you have this extra challenge necessarily yeah. but you can overcome this you can aspire to race hard to achieve the next level in your sport and 
and overcome this challenge, you know, um, or, you know, work, learn to work with this challenge. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, there's an incredible interview that I listened to. There's another podcast that I listened to that's kind of geared towards diabetes. It's called the bravest podcast by Craig Casper. Mm -hmm. And he had an absolutely incredible guest on his show, um, by the name of Hugo Thompson, who I think just recently with a, a couple of buddies of his, was in a transatlantic race, like a rowing race across the Atlantic. And he's type one and he, you know, got into a, a small boat and for 55 days straight rode across, you know, the Atlantic ocean. And so, uh, <laughs> I don't know if she likes podcasts, but I, as I listen to that, I get motivated and excited about the fact that there's, there's literally nothing that you can't do. No. As long as you just give yourself enough insulin to cover the carbs that you eat, you know? Yeah. And, other than that, you're a normal person who could literally do anything you want. You know, the president, boom, you can still do that. Climb Mount Everest, you can still do that. Uh, but, I don't know yeah. if anyone will send you to the moon yet. Yeah, like being, yeah. unfortunately, being a pilot and being in the military are like the two only things that you can't do. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, yes. So I know I tried. So I don't know if you're familiar. Robin Arzon is a female ultra runner, and she's also, she's kind of uh, a, uh, ambassador for Adidas and she's also the lead Peloton instructor. Yep. I don't, you know, Peloton, the, they, oh, yeah, they I, see her on the, Peloton. I see her on the commercials all the time. Yeah. Well, and she has type one. Um, so you should, in a lot of the pictures you see her, you can see her, you know, sometimes you can see her Dexcom. Um, and it's funny because when I first, it was a few years ago when she, when Peloton started to become bigger and we have a Peloton store in our mall, I was like, drag Isabel into it. I was like, look at her, look at her crushing it. She yeah. has type one, you know, and, um, what Sebastian Sabine who like ran across Canada. Yeah. Um, he's like this amazing endurance. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many great examples out there. Yeah. Um, Sebastian too, I think has also been on the bravest podcast. So, if, if you've listened to all of the diabetic running podcast episodes, you can go to the bravest podcast by Craig Casper and you can listen to some absolutely incredible guests that he's had that have really overcome, you know, the small limitation that is type one diabetes. So, and so what I, I meant to have asked you this earlier and I forgot, but what, when did you kind of get into running and kind of how did that transition into running coaching for you? Um, so I got into, like, I ran a, I mean, I really didn't run in high school. I ran a little bit as a younger kid, but I just, and I kind of have always ran like the five K's or that type of thing. I think, um, most pretty fairly common, but then I really got into running, um, after I started to have children and just as a way to, I was at home with my kids and I found that I needed kind of my own space and my own head space. Um, and I needed some, some place to set goals, um, that were achievable yet challenging and running gave me that it kind of gave me that own space to, um, you know, get, get out, have my own, you it's know, like a channel time, but, and then the challenge, because, um, you know, I had kind of moved into being at home with, I have three kids. Um, and 
I was like, I need, I need a goal. I need a goal because it, within the household, you can have goals within your house and it's always, you know, they're all based upon others and, you know, they're based upon your kids. They're based upon, and they're based in trying to, and it's, there's no winning. (laughs) You're always going to be, you're, you're never going to be quite the parent you want to (laughs) be, the wife you want to be, the mom you want to be. It's one of those things. Um, But like with running, I could set a very concrete goal and work towards it. And it gave me a sense of achievement that I wasn't able to get, you know, a measurable achievement that I wasn't, that I was kind of lacking because not being in a work, a workforce where you like kind of move up the chain, you have um, career goals. And then from there, that led to, um, you know, I started running marathons personally, and then I um, wanted to learn more about my own training. And I start, so then I did um, my R, my Roadrunners Club of America certification for distance running. And then I started working with this triathlon group because my kids were swimmers. And so it kind of became an offshoot of that. Um, and then it kind of just spiraled. And then I actually, I started the Mother Daughter Run Club and I did that for two years um, and ran with um, local Moms Run This Town group. I kind of did all those things. And then that kind of led to, you know, um, just kind of being involved in the running community and then becoming more integral in that and integrated in what was happening there. Absolutely. Cassie, I think this has been one of the most incredible talks I've had so far. It's, it's really inspiring to hear you being so involved and so just kind of an advocate for not only your own family, but for, like you just said, all of the other things that you've done in terms of outreach to the community and to better the lives of, you know, your daughter, because it's personal, but too, because of the lives of others. So I think that's incredible. Um, kind of segs me seg segs away seg. That's not a word. Segways. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Into the last kind of section. I call it tempo talk and I'll just shoot some, shoot some random questions at you and you'll be able to answer and, We'll probably go down other rabbit holes, but that's fine. But you can answer as fast or as slow as you'd like. Uh, okay. Yeah. In your household, <laughs> real sugar or artificial sweetener? Real sugar. Really? Nice. But there is, I mean, there artificial sugars occasionally happen. Um, like, you know, when we're like having we're getting soda for a party, you know what I mean? That type of thing. Yeah. I will get her something with artificial sugar in it just so she can have what everybody else has. But we also do like the like honest kids sodas, which are like 12 carbs. anyway. like honest kids root beer are honest people. I don't know. Honest fizz. It's called honest fizz. Um, so it's like 12 carb root beer and that type I'm, of thing. I'm, but Googling. <laughs> I'm, I'm Googling that now. Cause I had no idea. Yeah, that honest fizz. They have regular, <laughs> they have sodas and they're like low carb. <laughs> How did I not know that existed? Um, You know, I get split result. I think it's probably 50-50 on this question. So like within the diabetes community. So it's really interesting to see. Um, Favorite, this could go, this could go for you and your daughter, but favorite pre-race meal. Favorite pre-race meal. So I have to say for me, it's just a banana and a yogurt. Mm -hmm. For her, it's more... um, she does the full 
for a pre-race swim meat meal, it would be um, a egg and cheese, like bagel egg and cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, for a run, it's probably just a banana still. Really? Okay. Yeah. I still just, need to get back into day. eating bananas. I ate one banana right after I got diagnosed and my blood sugar got so high about never again. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. She tends to like, I do the banana. She tends to like the, you know, the egg and cheese sausage yeah. sandwich kind of thing. And this is probably really for her. And you can answer if you'd like, but your question, yeah. your answer will be boring. Hers will be exciting. If you know what her <laughs> answer would be favorite food you think she would eat a huge portion of if she wasn't a diabetic. Oh, mac and cheese. Yes. <laughs> I can relate. And that's actually, yeah. I, multiple people have said that. That's a popular answer. Yeah. Mac and cheese without a doubt. Just all like just bowls and bowls. I would do yes. the same. I could see that. Um, for you guys, do you treat lows with glucose tablets or real food first? We do both. Like split 50, um, 50 of the time. Yeah. It depends on what's on, what's on, what's on hand. I mean, she always has glucose tabs on her. Um, but that gets old too, you know? So, um, and it depends on how low. So it depends on if she's like an 80 or if she's like a 50, you know? Um, totally. So, yeah. So a tube yogurts, like if she's like in like, uh, I haven't had one of those since I was a kid. Exactly. But yes. like the tubes of yogurt, you know what I mean? She'll, <laughs> yeah. um, like if she's like an 80, she like needs a little something with like a slow, like not to like shoot her out of the, you know. Um, but if she's low, low, then it would be um, glucose tabs. She yeah, hates that's, most, that's most prudent. Yeah, she's so overdue, I'm sure. Um, that's a whole nother, that could be a podcast on how to get juice stains out of my carpet in her bedroom or out of the carpet in her bedroom. When I run out of people to interview, I'll call you back and we'll do that one. <laughs> what, uh, something you wish everyone knew about type one. That it's an autoimmune disease that it has. Yeah. That it's different nothing, from type two. Yes. Yeah. That it has nothing to do with what she ate, what she didn't eat. I mean, she's, she's an, the, one of the most active kids I know, you know, but she, that label of diabetes and breaking out of it, uh, and that it's not, she's not going to grow out of it. Yeah. Um, that has been, she hates it. She's had, you know, she hates like we've had to talk to, PE teachers that have miscommented on what diabetes is in, you know, in gym class during education about it being, it's not just about diet and exercise because she does both of those. She's very good with both of those. Absolutely. Yeah. That can totally relate. And I think my answer would be super similar to that. So last question, and then I'll let you have the rest of your day back and I'll appreciate all of your time what would be advice that you would give? And so so here's the scenario. There's a type one diabetic, whether or not they just got diagnosed or they've been a type one their whole life in the greater DC area. And they've been thinking about doing like a couch to 5k program through type one run. And they're thinking about coming out to one of y'all's group runs. What would be your advice to that person that is just thinking about starting running and has type one? 
to do it. I mean, I, I, to do it. Um, yes, they just have, they need it. The first, first time's always the hardest. You know, the first time's always to get out there and make a friend to go with. I mean, there are so many amazing runners that I know in this, you know, I ran into that have type one. We do, um, uh, we actually put on a local 5k to benefit type one diabetes research. Um, and I'm amazed at the people that come out that have type one that are runners and are, you know, athletes that you don't know. Yeah. So you never know because it is a kind of the unseen, you know, um, the type one you don't see and, you know, um, what you don't see, you don't realize there are other people out there with the challenge that are overcoming it too. So go do it just, and it gives you a way to connect with others, um, who understand what it feels like. Like I, I honestly, it's been great for me to talk to um, adults who have type one about what it feels like to drop from like, you know, 200 to 80 in a half hour. Like, yeah. because I, I, my daughter, she, she doesn't even know how to sometimes explain that to me where an adult too, that um, maybe had onset a little bit later than she did. Yeah. Um, or, has more life experiences can explain to me what that feels like. So I can kind of understand. Yeah. So, <laughs> I can tell to, you it's not, it's not fun. <laughs> exactly. And so what that feels like, cause I, I can only guess at that and I can only see kind of what she, the ex, is exhibiting and experience of it. But so if you're thinking about starting to run, do it. There are so many resources now and to connect with people that are being active and challenging their bodies while having the added layer of type one to connect with others that way is so empowering, I would think. Um, it's just better. You get to know your body better. You get to um, rise above the diagnosis um, and not, you know, and dispel all those notions. That's one of the big reasons why too, we did a five, we started a 5k versus like we've been walking for years with the walks to raise money, to raise money for research. Yeah. But I felt like I, we needed to do a more active event to display really how many, how these, there's these really amazing active individuals that are, that are, are living their lives in sports with this also and so like you, we wanted to get out there and you know get people moving and show them and also bring people that were that were going to just come out for a 5k and who were athletes and be like hey you know what there are athletes that are running that not only are pushing themselves in a 5k just like you but they also have to figure out how much insulin what their food's doing you know, how long is that going to last? Are they going to be able to maintain their blood sugar and push that, you know, so to kind of bring awareness that these are really healthy people living with this disease, yeah. really active, healthy people. So I, th I would encourage anyone who has type one, it's, it, I would think it would be a really empowering thing. It is. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of one of the goals of the diabetic running podcast too, is to kind of touch on all the things you just talked about. 
you know, and to really drive that home for a lot of people who may be on the fence or who are already running and just kind of need, you know, that continual reminder like me. I, I've been in the middle of countless runs to where I think to myself, like, man, I suck at running. I'm not a runner. Why do I do this to myself? So. Well, I think all of us have been, even those without type one, also have been in the middle of runs. We're yeah. like, I, I suck at this. Why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah. um, that, Cassie, that was such a perfect answer. Um, where can people follow you? And where's the best place to follow you and to, let's say, get in touch with you if they want a running coach? Um, so I, you can follow me on Instagram at run with my girl. Um, you can follow me on Facebook with run with my girl also. Um, and we also have a Facebook page for our 5k, which is the countdown to none 5k, which we've had for three years. We hosted on, um, New Year's Eve in the evening. Um, and that we put out a lot of information, about running with type one and um on that facebook page and then um you know coaching and more running in general we do with um run with my girl especially in facebook and then twitter also well perfect thank you so much for coming on the show and i appreciate your time oh thank you for having me thank you for doing these podcasts i i have enjoyed listening to them um you know in fact we are listening to um, the one with Phil Graham, does that sound right? Yeah. On, um, just on the way to swim practice um, last night with Isabel. She's like, what are you listening to, Mom? I'm like, listen, he's talking about what I've been telling you is happening with your blood sugars. Yeah. So thank you for um, giving, you know, type 1 diabetes athletes a voice and a place to talk through information. It's, thank you. It's, it's awesome. Thank you. Hey guys, so that wraps up today's show. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe. It's an incredible way to get fresh episodes delivered straight to your phone every week. If you think you or anyone you know would be a perfect interviewee for the show, make sure to reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Type One Run Podcast or at Type One Run Podcast.com. Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you guys again next week. Train hard, train happy, and leave no ones behind.